Don't you love that song, Christ Fellowship? Listen, that song is just not a song that we're singing. That song is a song that we are praying that God would pour out his spirit and bring revival into our city and into our lives. And that's our hope as we jump into today's message. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. 2 Kings chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. And as you guys turn there, I want to take a moment to welcome all of our campuses all across Miami-Dade County, our online campus. And I also want to welcome our first-time guest who is here with us, Christ Fellowship. Can we give it up for our first-time guest? Listen, if you're new here, my name is Van, and I get the privilege to serve as one of the teaching pastors here, and we are ready to jump into God's Word. So 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9 reads this. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right, for this day is a day of good news. Everyone say good news. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell. Everyone say, go and tell. Go and tell the king's household. God bless the reading of his word. You may have a seat at this moment. Well, raise your hand across all our campuses and even online if you love watching crime drama tv shows yeah raise your hand yeah a few of us here yeah uh, you guys love like the courtroom drama raise your hand if you like watching law and order on the different types of law and order few of us yeah raise your hand if you like watching uh, a csi crime scene investigation yeah a few of us now raise your hand if you like the show how to get away with murder okay <laughs> Watch who raise their hand. You want to stay away from those people there. But in one of these episodes was this uh, story of a, a gentleman who was about to be executed in the lecture. That day was the day of his execution. And just a few rooms away was the prison warden standing beside a telephone. He's standing beside there because he is waiting for a last-minute phone call just in case the governor calls, just in case there is a stay of execution. What is a stay of execution? Well, it's an order that is given to halt, to stop, and to delay the execution. Well, minutes before that person was to die in the, the, the execution chamber, the phone rings, and the warden picks up the phone, and it is the governor on the other line. And he says, I am issuing a stay of execution. I have new information that, that will go, uh, that we need to understand about this person's case. So I need you to halt the execution, stop the execution. And the governor hangs up the phone and the prison warder runs. No, he doesn't. He just casually walks by with no sense of urgency, even as important this, of message this is, he just kind of, just without urgency, just casually walks and not delivers the news. Some say he, he did it uh, out of, you know, spite. He didn't like the person. He did it on purpose. Some say it's because, you know, he was just negligent. Some say that he was just kind of distracted. Well, by the time that he got to the execution chamber, the man had already died and he was executed. See, this warden had a message that would save his life, but yet he remained silent. 
Now let me bring this over to our teaching for today because just like that prison warden had a message, a message that can save a person's life. Listen, we too have a, been given a message, have been entrusted a message that can save people's eternal lives. And sometimes we find ourselves like the warden, just silent, complacent, casual with this very important message. In fact, here's the big takeaway for our teaching today. Jesus did not save us so that we would remain silent. Jesus did not say, God did not save us. He saved us for a reason. He, he gave us a message, not so that we can be reluctant with it, that, but that we would not be silent with this very important message that can change lives. Now, you guys already know, you guys are smart. You already know this is an evangelism message. And I already know the questions that come around this. I struggle with this area. Why is it that I struggle with this important news? Why do I find myself a reluctant witness and not a faithful witness? Well, we're going to find out as we jump back into the story in 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, chapter 7, verse 9. And, and so as we jump back into it, here's just three thoughts on why we are reluctant and why and how we can be a faithful witness. Write this down in your notes or follow along in your app as point number one. Why are we reluctant and how do we overcome that? Number one, we need to realize the bad news. So let me give you the context of the story, what's happening, what's going on, because for the people of Samaria, this was bad news. Just jump back one chapter in chapter six, beginning in verse 24, here is what we see. Afterwards, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. So these northern invaders come to go to war with Samaria, which is the, the northern capital of the Israel's kingdom, uh, which was Samaria. And the way that they were going to conquer, the way that they were going to destroy their enemy was by laying a siege. A siege is this kind of this military blockade that, that would surround the city that would stop them from letting anyone go in or anyone going out. See, they wouldn't just barge into the gates and go in an all-out ward and find casualties on both sides. No, the way that they were going to defeat their enemies, the way that they were going to conquer was through attrition. See, by, by, by putting this siege, it actually blocked some of the essential things going into the city. They would stop food distribution so that no one can bring food from outside. So whatever food that they had left there would be all that they had to the point of starvation. That they would stop the, the, the flow of, of water. That they, they, they had these aquifers that would lead into the cities and they would find a way to block that or to contaminate it, rendering it unuseful or undrinkable. And the siege that was laid there would be the very thing that they would enter into the gates to find weakened soldiers that they can defeat, and to find many of the people dead. And the siege has caused a great famine. Verse 25, and there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it. And this is how bad it got. Until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and fourth part of calf of dove's dung, that is bird poop for five shekels of silver. See, things have gotten really desperate and dire. The economy has collapsed, inflation has risen, and people are resorting to find food wherever they can find. It seemed like a hopeless situation. 
But that was not the worst part. Because of the scarcity of the city, because of the lack of food, people resulted into cannibalism. People eating people. In fact, in one of the most horrific stories in the Bible we see later in chapter 6 is that mothers will be boiling their children for food. All because, listen to this, all because there was an invading enemy holding siege over their city stopping the, the flow of essential food and water, rendering, making people hungry, starving, and dying. And can I tell you, according to the Bible, there is bad news for us. That according to the Bible, there is an invading enemy, and his name is Satan. And his scheme and his uh, plot is to kill, steal, and destroy. And he is besieging our cities, our world, our families, and listen, the Bible says because of sin, because of sin and our rebellion, the flow of the source of life, God himself has stopped in our lives so that people are hungry, spiritually hungry, spiritually starving, and spiritually dying. And listen, folks, unless we realize the bad news, it will not lead us into action. Unless we realize that because of our sin that has corrupted everything, we will find ourselves in a world of hurt. And unless we realize that bad news, we will not lead us to action. Now listen, unless, unless we realize the bad news that people are dying in a Christless eternity in hell, it will not lead us into action. And because we don't realize the bad news, there are some barriers for us when it comes to our evangelism. Put this down as point number one sorry, letter A, is that we don't care enough. You know, the question I have to constantly ask myself is, when's the, when's the last time your heart broke for someone in your life that was lost? When, when did your heart break for someone who was far from God? Maybe at your place of work, maybe your family, or maybe the school that you go to. When did your heart feel burdened about someone who was far from God? And I believe the problem for us, the reason why we don't get to, to, to feel that kind of compassion or we don't care is because we don't necessarily see the need all around us. We don't see the spiritual need around us. And until we see, it will not lead us into compassion and care. In the ministry of Jesus, we see this in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, when he, that is Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He saw a crowd. And what did that do? It led him to compassion for them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus saw. Jesus saw the hurt. Jesus saw the need. He saw people without a shepherd. And that, him seeing, led to compassion, led him to care and his compassion and his care led him into action. So I get asked all the time, Pastor Van, like, how do I get a heart for people who are lost? How do I get a heart for people who are far from God? You don't want to know how you get a heart for people who are far from God? You have to pray for people who are far from God. And until we see, because the launching pad of evangelism is compassion is when we see the bad news and when we care and move us into action. Because here, here's the truth. See, you're here at church, and I can guarantee this. 
That wherever you're watching from us, you're, you're watching and you're at church at one of our campuses and you're here, you're at church because someone in your life cared enough about you. Someone in your life loved you. Whether it, for you, it was a grandmother who prayed for you. Maybe for you, it was a parent who drug you to church. You know why? It's because they cared for you. They love you. Maybe for you, it was a, a coach, or, or maybe it was a coworker or a friend who saw you in the moment of your distress. You were going through a divorce, you were going through loss, you were going through pain, and listen, they cared enough about you, and they loved you enough to say, hey, listen, listen, I know what you're going through. I went through that myself, and listen, I found hope, and I believe you can find hope. Would you come to church with me? Would you come to my small group? See, it takes that, doesn't it not? Someone in your life who cares enough about you, and the caring is the launching pad to evangelism. See, that, that was my case when I was a sophomore in high school, when one of my classmates by the name of Rachel Gomez invited me to a Bible study after high school. And at that time, I rejected it because I didn't think I needed it. I didn't know it back then, but I know it now. She cared. And listen, if you're here today, and this is your first time at church, or maybe a friend of you, a friend invited you to church. Listen, they, they might not have given you the reason why they invited you, but, but can, I, can I tell you why they invited you? It's because they care about you. And for them, they said, I have experienced and encountered a relationship with Jesus that can save my life, that has changed my life, and I believe he can do the same for you as well. And so the launching pad has to come up from a place that we see the need and that it leads us to compassion. But the second thing that I think becomes a barrier for us of not sharing the face or realizing the bad news is that we get distracted. See, we get so caught up in the current of the current culture. Listen, let's just be honest. We just get distracted. Some of you here would say, it's not that I don't care. It's just that I get very distracted. Or I should say, you live a busy and hurried life. You know, in 1970, there were two Christian psychologists who decided to do a social experiment. And so what they decided to do is they wanted to uh, invite these Princeton Seminary students. So these are students who want to become pastors and preachers, and they're going to school for it. And so they said, I want, they wa we want you to preach a message of the story of the parable of the good Samaritan. You guys are familiar with that story? It's about a guy who was wounded in the road, and the people that you would think would help him, the priests, the Levites, the religious leaders, they did nothing. But the most unlikely character of the story, a Samaritan, someone who they did not associate with, came and helped. And so that you had to preach this message. Oh, by the way, where you have to preach this message is to the other side of campus. And so essentially they had two groups there was other groups, but essentially the two groups was this. They told one group, hey, you have to preach this message across campus. And by the way, you have to go like now, right? Because you are late and your grade is dependent on it. So you have to rush and go over there. And so they go. And to the other group, he says, listen, you have to preach this message of the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. But listen, take your time. Leave now. Take your time. Relax. Focus on this message and deliver a great message sermon. Now, unbeknownst to this group, they head there on their way to the other campus, and in the alleyway, these psychologists staged an actor who was acting 
as the role of the wounded person in the story of the Good Samaritan story. So he's crying out for help. He's asking the seminary students. And listen to what the results of the study was. For those who were not in a hurry, 63% of them stopped to help this man. But to those who were in a hurry, listen to this, almost none of them, 10% of the students stopped to help this man. You know what their conclusion was? Hurriness kills compassion. Your hurried pace of life kills compassion. And the shocker was this. The game changer was not thinking about helping people. Because clearly they did. The game changer wasn't to preach a sermon on helping people. Because clearly they were doing that. The game changer is that they did not have margin in their life to care and to help. And so we could be sitting at church or watching this online and hearing a message about compassion and evangelism, and if our lives are busy and hurried, we will probably do nothing about it. I mean, you know this, right? I mean, this happened this week. Our kids went back to school. Traffic was crazy, right? We're late to work, and our witness threw out the window, right? I mean, this literally just happened to me this week. You know, every single week, our pastors get together to pray in the mornings, right? We get together to pray for the needs of our church, things that we want to lift before the Lord. That Monday morning, this week, I was so in a, I was late to another appointment that I had to take this prayer meeting on, uh, on the road. I had a Zoom on my phone, and, and one of the pastors are praying, and I forgot to hit mute on the Zoom call. All right? And uh, I'm so frustrated because this person is clearly not paying attention to the light. And so you know what I did? During a prayer, I honked my horn. And I just realized, oh, my gosh. All the pastors looked up, right? <laughs> they heard it. And I, I looked up, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And one of our pastors from our Doral campus, Pastor Ray, called me out. He's like, hey, did you just honk your horn during a prayer? And, yeah, I, I was busy. I was hurried. And that is why just because we are in a prayer meeting or we're at church or hear a message like this, if our lives are busy and hurried, it doesn't matter if you you do care. There's just not that margin to share the hope that we have. That is why Dallas Willard put it this way. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You could even say it's what kills compassion. You can even say it's what kills us or stops us from not sharing our faith. And so his, here's his antidote. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. So how do we become faithful witnesses? Well, one, we have to realize the bad news. But the second thing is that we have to realize the power. See, when it comes to our evangelism, one of the most crippling things that stops us from sharing our faith, from, being, uh, from keeping us silent, is a four-letter word. It's called fear. And because of fear, we will doubt the provisions of God. We will doubt the power of God to save a soul and to be used by God to share this message of hope. And, and so there's several reasons for us, or so, some examples or things when it comes to fear. Put this down as letter A. We are afraid of rejection. 
What if I, what if I share and I, I don't know what happens? The fear of the unknown. What if they, I say something and they reject me? What if I say something and it becomes awkward? What if I, I do it and it's just like it kind of ruins our relationship? And we let fear become the dominant voice over what God can do in our lives and the power of God in our lives. And, and here's the thing. There's this... Um, have you guys ever heard of this? It's called the 85% rule of worry. You guys ever heard of that? You know what this study is or this, this uh, statistic? It's actually a study. And here's what it says, that 85% of what your worries are never come true. In fact, Penn State University made another claim that 92% of our fears never come to fruition. So when it comes to that fear of, of kind of evangelizing, listen, listen, that might not even happen. And I actually took some time, some inventory, to look at all my fears, all my fears of of the things that I'm afraid ever since I was a little kid. And you know what? It's true. Most of those things never come to realize. Most of the things never happen. Still today, I have not been attacked by a clown in my bedroom. (laughs) Right? Most of our fears don't come true. I get this from um, uh, Michelle Poehler. She was one of the speakers at uh, the Global Leadership Summit, a leadership uh, uh, um, thing that we had here, conference that we had here at our Palmetto Bay campus. And Michelle Poehler was very much like many of us who were kind of crippled and paralyzed by, by fear that it stopped us from doing the things that we wanted to do in our lives. And so what she said about fear, listen, it's a natural thing. It's a human emotion, and sometimes it's a good thing because that's the reason why we're not just jumping off belt, you know, buildings all the time. But she says, even though I can't do anything about my fears, I can do something about my courage. I can do something about being brave. And so she, sent, she, she went out on a journey for 100 days of being fearless, jumping, I mean, uh, going skydiving, eating scorpions, public speaking, and the way that she has overcome some of these fears and became bold and courageous and not let fear dominate her life is that she learned to reframe her fears. She learned to say, the thing that stopped me most in my life, the fear, is when I asked myself this question, what is the worst that could happen? What is the worst that could happen? In fact, maybe you, you've thought about that in times of you wanted to share your faith with someone like, oh my gosh, if I do share, I know the Holy Spirit is convicting me, but what if I, what's the worst that can happen? They can reject me. They can ask me a question and I don't know much about the Bible. How do I respond? I don't want to ruin this thing. And she says this, instead of allowing those questions and all those scenarios to cripple you, don't ask what's the worst that can happen. Rather ask what is the best that can happen? What is the best that can happen? And sure, maybe if you share and, and you share about your faith or invite some in the church, they could reject you. But they could also say, yes, I've been looking for this. I've been needing this. I've been longing for this. What is the best that can happen? And can I tell you, as it relates to that frameworking of our fears, this is exactly what happens to these heroes in our story. Let's jump back to 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. So we know there's a siege in Samaria. People are starving. They're in a dire situation. And the scene jump cuts to four men 
Verse 3, now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance gate. Why were they at the entrance gate? It's because they had leprosy. They were uh, thought to be contagious, unclean, and so they were outside pushed in the margins of society. And so they're out at the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter to the city, the famine in the city, we shall die there. But if we sit here, well, guess what? We will die also. So if we go to the city, there's a famine, we're going to die. But guess what? We're going to die if we just stay here. And so they make a plan. They say, so now come, let us go to the camp of the Syrians. The Syrians who were putting a siege in Samaria, let's go over there. What's the worst that could happen? Well, they say, well, they can kill us and we die there too. They also said, what's the best that could happen? If they spare our lives, we shall live. So just picture the scene where you have these starving men, disease-ridden men just dragging their feet out of exhaustion, and they're walking across this desert into an enemy camp, and the power of God shows up in the most unlikely places and in the most unlikely people, verse 5. So when they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, but when they came at the edge of the, uh, the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear a sound of chariots and horses, the sound of a great army, these four lepers men, so that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us kings of the Hittites and kings of Egypt to come against us so that they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and leaving the camp as it was, and they fled for their lives. Let me ask you a question. What is the best that could happen? See, when we take the steps of faith in trusting in our Lord, trusting in God, God will meet us there. And again, it's not our power, but it's the power of God. We see this in the lives of these these shepherds. They, they, They said, what's the best that could happen? And God showed up in a more powerful way in their lives. And you know this. You know this because there were times where you try to invite someone in your life and you thought they will say no, they're going to reject me. You try to, 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 to pray with someone and you're like, no, they're, gonna, they're not going to say yes to this. They're going to think I'm crazy. And guess what they did? They said yes to go to church with you. They said yes to pray. I call it the divine surprise. There's times in my life where I think that it's not going well because I don't have what it, you know, I I feel like the fear of my life is going to overcome. But then I share, and God surprises me. It's the divine. That was a surprise of the Syrian army. That was a surprise of these men. I mean, I I look in a a room like this, and I I look at some of the faces, and I'm like, I'm surprised you're a Christian. No, I'm kidding. That's not true. Uh, I'm surprised that I am a Christian. And so we fear rejection, but here's the other thing that, that stops us and causes us to be silent and doubt the power of God. We, f- we are afraid that we don't have what it takes. And so when it comes to evangelism, we, we typically I, I kind of frame it this way, like, listen, I, 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 
There's a lot of things that I don't know. I don't know much about the Bible. I don't know. I'm not like this extrovert person. Like, I'm not like this person who knows everything. And so I don't even just try to do that. It's just kind of weird. I don't, I don't want to get caught in this awkward moment. And we typically say this, I'm not like, and then we kind of fill in the blanks, right? I'm not like my campus pastor. Like, like I, I'm not like, you know, this famous preacher. I'm not like, and we'll go even to Bible here. I'm not like Peter. And I'm not like John. But can I tell you, Peter and John didn't even believe they had what it takes to do what God is doing in their lives. And guess what? The people around Peter and John also believe that they didn't have what it takes. There's this moment in Acts chapter 4 when the gospel is being spread and Peter and John are boldly proclaiming. Acts chapter 4 verse 13 says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained. They did not have what it takes. And so they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Listen, can I, can I tell you, when it comes to our excuses of not evangelism, we have our own set of unwords, don't we not? We have our own words that we disqualify ourselves of why we should not do it or we don't have what it takes. In fact, I, I put a list of them on the screen here. Like, I think for some of the unwords, we feel like we're uneducated, right? We're untrained, we're unqualified, we're unattractive, we're unsophisticated, we're uninteresting, unforgiven, and unworthy. And you know how long it took me to put this list together? All but eight seconds. You want to know why? Because this is my list. That I constantly disqualify myself over and over and over again. But can I tell you, God in his power is not contingent on my list. God's power to use me and to save and use me to, as his vessel is not contingent on my weaknesses. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 12, that it is, it is, it is this. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. God's power is made perfect even in the very places that we don't feel qualified or we don't know. There's a story one time I heard about this Indian water carrier. And it goes something like this. There's once that lived a water carrier in India. He used two large pots for his task. He suspended a pole across his neck and attached a pot on each end of the pole. One of the pots had a big crack while the other pot was perfect. And the perfect pot always delivered a full portion of water from the stream of the master's house, while the cracked pot arrived only half full each day. For two years, the water carrier made the same journey back and forth. The perfect pot became proud of his accomplishments, while the cracked pot was ashamed of his imperfections and was miserable that it wasn't able to accomplish, was able to only accomplish half of what had been meant and created to do. Finally, one day, by the stream, the cracked pot spoke to the owner about his bitter failure. I am ashamed of myself. I want to apologize that I have only been able to deliver half of the water to your house. There's a crack on my side, you see, which causes water to leak out. Because of my flaw, you don't get the full value 
of your efforts. Then the water carrier replied, smiling, as we return to the master's house, I want you to notice something. Have you noticed there are beautiful flowers along the path? On the trip back from the stream, the the crackpot looked around. Did you notice that the flowers are only on your side of the path, but not on the other side of the pot, the perfect pot's side? That is because I've always known about your flaw. And I took advantage of it. I planted seeds on your side of the path. And every day while he passed, while we passed these spots, you watered them. For two years, I've been able to pick those beautiful flowers to decorate the master's table. Without you being just the way you are, I would not have the beauty to grace the master's house. Isn't that a beautiful story? And what a reminder for us that God doesn't need our qualifications. If we think we don't have what it takes, God says, it's exactly what I need. I need your trust in me, the power of God to be used in your life to share this message of hope. And that is why we shouldn't be ashamed. That is why we shouldn't be silent. Romans chapter 1 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And so here's the thing. We need to realize the bad news. We need to realize the power, the power of God in our lives, even in our weaknesses. And the third and last one, we need to realize the good news. Let's jump back into our story And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold clothing and went and hid them. They came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it, and they went and they hid them. Make make no mention of it. There are people who are dying. There are people who are starving. And they got the blessings and the provision of God. And they, they terminated it on themselves. They hid it until conviction gripped them. Verse 9, and they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. They realized the good news. And if we are silent and wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. They realize the good news. They realize the blessings of God, the provision and the power of God in their lives. And what they said to themselves after they hid it, after they have splurged on it, they said, this is not good news if we keep silence about this. We are not doing right if we do nothing with this good news. In fact, I've heard evangelism simply defined as this. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Folks, can can I just tell you, hasn't the Lord been good to us? Hasn't the Lord redeemed us and saved us and, and, and healed us and cleansed us? It is wrong for us if we hold it to ourselves. See, Paul said this, 
because of the gospel, because of what Christ has, I have a debt to Christ. Church, we ought to do the same thing. And so what do we do? Well, like these lepers, we go and tell. So just quickly, three things I want to share with you how you can go and tell. The first one is to make your faith public. And this is an easy step that you can do this week. Listen, we have resources to help you. We have invite cards. We have yard signs. Listen, we, we have bumpers, I mean, stickers that you can put in your car. And listen, that's just one simple way that you can make your faith public. Can I tell you as a pastor, I meet a lot of first-time guests. Maybe some of you or maybe you are here today. And one of the questions I ask you, how did you hear about our church? You know what the response is? I saw a yard sign. I was driving and there was a bumper sticker. Folks, this is an easy step that you can do to go and tell by making your faith public. Use one of these resources that we have. The second thing is to go share your story. The Bible tells us that we are witnesses. You know what witnesses do when they're called in front of a stand? They're not there to, to compel or give their side of the story, what they think it is. No, they're just there to testify of what they've seen, heard, and experienced. And listen, in our website, one of the things that we want to resource you with are ways for you to tell your story. If you go to our website, cfmiami.org tell, we have resources there to help you tell your story. And lastly, share the gospel. You know, we have gospel cards out there that you can use to just sit with someone and say, hey, can I just read some scriptures with you? Or maybe for you, just share your story, and that would lead to telling people the good news. But, but here, here's my point. Let's just not sit here until we die. Here, here's my point. We have experienced good news. It would be wrong for us to do nothing about it, to be silent, to be negligent, to be complacent without urgency when it's a message that can save and change lives. And as we close, there's a story by Erwin Lutzer. He was a pastor and author in his classic book, Hitler's Cross. He talked about this church in Germany that was situated by railroad tracks. It was by a train station, and it was actually the tracks of the tra that, that it would load thousands and millions of Jews, men, women, and children, to be led to Auschwitz in a concentration camp where they would die. And so during the Sunday service, one of the stops was right by this church. And so as they stopped and heard the, the, the train stop, they can hear the cries and the wails of many of millions of Jews crying for help, moaning and crying. And for them, that bothered them deeply. But for them, it was a different kind of bother. It was a nuisance. And so they, they went to the pastor and said, can, can we do a change in our service? See, we are bothered by these cries, and, and, and we don't want to feel guilty. So whenever that train stops, you're preaching your message, and we can hear that, and it distracts us. Could, could we just change the service around so when we know that this train stops here, we could be in our worship time so that we can sing and we can drown out the cries of so many people? And the pastor conceded to the request. And so that the next Sunday, 
They sang while people cried. And for year after year after year. Folks, let's not be that church. God did not save us so that we would be silent to drown out the cries, but he has entrusted us with good news. Let us go and tell. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good news. This good news that we should not be silent, but this is good news that is for good people, for all people. But Lord, there's so many barriers. Our hurried life, our lack of compassion, our fears that hinder us from telling this good news. So God, help us to see what you see. Break our hearts for the things that break your heart. Lead us to a place in our Christianity, in our worship, that we say to ourselves in our silence, this is not good, for this is a day of good news. Let us go and tell for the glory of your name. Amen. Hey, listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, listen, I recognize there are some of you here and, and you've, you realize the bad news that apart from Christ, you are still dead in your sin. But thanks be to God. Through the work and the person of Jesus Christ, he dies on the cross for forgiveness of your sins. That is good news. And listen, if you want that, if you, if you want a relationship with God, for God to save you, for God to change you from all across this room to all of our campuses and watching, would you just slightly raise your hand? Listen, I might not see every hand in this room or on the other campuses or online, but listen, God sees that hand. Would you just simply raise your hand and say, God, I want that. I need that. And the Bible says this, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you want that, would you just pray a prayer, not to me, but to God, a prayer that goes like this, God, I know that sin separates me from you. I know and realize that the bad news is that I have been separated from you because of my sin. But Jesus on the cross dies for my sin. And he takes my sin on the cross and that I get his righteousness if I call upon the name of today, God, is a day of good news because I call upon the name of the Lord to save me, to restore me, and to secure my future. Help me to declare your praises and to tell everyone of the good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, Christ Fellowship at all of our campuses, can we just give it up for those who prayed to receive Christ? Listen, we are here for you. Listen, we want to help you and we want to resource you. If you go to our website at cfmiami.org connect, you can uh, sign up that information and let us know that you made this decision in this prayer. And we want to celebrate with you. Christ Fellowship, God bless you. And for this prayer that you have, that you have made in this way. At this moment, I want to invite our campus pastors and our hosts from all of our campuses to come up at this moment and dismiss us. Christ Fellowship, love you. God bless you. Go and tell. <laughs>